Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are currently in our second uh, teaching series entitled Prophecy Terms or Key Prophetic Terms that uh, need to be contrasted to be better understood. And in most, well, in all the cases here, all seven sets of prophetic terms, we are contrasting. There's really not a, a great deal of comparison. It's the contrasting. And the reason we're looking at these is because if you don't take the time to slow down and study the Scripture and ask who, what, where, when, why, and how, and look at the context, when you look at prophetic Scripture, because they're particularly now, they're of such great interest and so many people are wanting to talk about them. And unfortunately, so many of those people are bringing their own personal interpretations into what they mean as opposed to letting the Bible interpret it for you, that it can be easily misunderstood. And these seven terms, the reason, probably one of the major reasons that we're looking at them is they are compared more than they're contrasted. And it's not an analytical comparison. It's a, well, they just look alike, they sound alike, they look like they refer to the same thing, so let's move along and just assume that they mean the same thing. When in reality, when you look at the Scriptures, and that's what we've been doing here, is really looking at the contrasts between these. And when you think the Son of God, the Son of Man, is which was our first set, or our second set that we're currently finishing up here, the day of Christ versus the day of the Lord. Well, Son of God, Son of Man, that's the same person. Uh, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, well, it's all about the Lord. It has to be the same thing. Well, it couldn't be more different if you let the Scriptures uh, explain that to you, if you let the Holy Spirit use the Scriptures to explain that to you. So that's why we're going through here and making these contrasts, not really any comparisons, but contrasting these terms. And, of course, in point number two, we, we know by now through our study of the Scriptures in our past programs that the day of the Christ, day of Christ, refers to the rapture of the church, a very specific, signless event. It's the next event on the prophetic, prophetic calendar, but it is signless. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it'll be a singular event involving a specific group of people, the believing church that was founded at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was um, resurrected, 10 days after he had gone back to heaven, so that 50-day period, and it will end with the rapture of the church. So it began at Pentecost, it will end with the rapture of the church. So that focus of the day of Christ is specific to the church, and of course, remember, the church is made up of anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So that's Gentile and Jew. That's the wonderful thing that Paul explained to us, particularly in his book of Ephesians. But then there's the day of the Lord, and this is the day that involves, or it's actually a period of time, 
with a focal point being the second coming during that period of time, the second coming of Christ when he judges. So the day of the Lord, as we've read in a number of Old Testament passages so far, is a very dark and gloomy and cloudy and calamitous time that no one wants to be involved in, but unfortunately, most of the world will be caught up in it because they will have refused uh, the gracious offer of the truth from God through his um, prophets and through his evangelists and so forth that he sends to the world, not just today, but particularly during the tribulation period after the church is taken out. God doesn't give up on people. The 144,000 Jews, the two witnesses in Jerusalem, the angel in heaven with the gospel of the kingdom, he, he, he gives man every chance right up until the end. So as I, I like to tell people that you have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior until the moment you take your last breath, and then you have no more chance. It's over. Judgment will then be exacted one way or the other. But we're now looking at the uh, the judgment of those who are unbelievers, and we have um, now moved into the New Testament, for those of you that have been following along with us, and we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, so it's about halfway through your your New Testament. And this is the first of the two letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in Greece, in uh, northeast Greece, and he has been spending his time talking to them about eschatology, about end-time events, and particularly about the rapture of the church and about the second coming and the tribulation that is in between those two events. That tribulation is about, is a specifically, I shouldn't say about, it's a specific uh, seven-year period of time, exactly seven years, because we see it listed as number of days, we see it listed as number of months, and then we see it as a seven-year period. And of course, this is the 70th week of Daniel, that as Daniel was told by the angel, Gabriel is focused on Israel. The tribulation is primarily for Israel and then secondarily for all the unbelieving Gentiles that are on the earth that are left after the church is raptured, before it all begins, the seven years begin. And he has um, taken great, uh, great effort, Paul has, to explain all this to the Thessalonians. And the funny thing is that today we think that that's the wrong thing to do. You shouldn't be sharing the the depths and the details of eschatology. That's for somebody who is mature in the word and so forth. And of course, Paul didn't get that message from whoever was putting that out because he jumped right into it. And as a matter of fact, in the the verse we went to in our last program, and let's go there, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 was, as he says to these people, these are uneducated people living in in Greece under the thumb of the Roman Empire, being harassed uh, with great tribulation, and some of them even being put to death for refusal to worship Caesar as God. They are not worshiping Caesar, so therefore they are a threat to the state, if you will. And he says uh, to them in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, For you yourselves know full well 
that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So he has told them, I've explained all this to you. You're concerned because you're hearing rumors, you're hearing stories, you're hearing false um, accusations made against me, Paul, that I have been misleading you with the Scripture. But no, I have shown you through the Scripture. And guess what the Scripture was that he used with the Thessalonians? It was the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. Because this is early on. This is probably 10 to 20 years after um, Jesus was uh, gloriously, gloriously resurrected and taken back to heaven. So he is using the Old Testament to explain all this to him. And he's making the emphatic point, you know full well. He's not saying you've just got a hint. You've just had a taste of what it's about. You know full well. And I can say that as Paul because I taught it to you. And you know full well that this day that you're concerned about, this day of the Lord, this period of judgment that's coming up, and a period that's going to be very difficult, no time in in Israel's history, nor will it ever be in Israel's future, will there be a, a time like the tribulation. And he says, this day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, but he's coming as a thief to those who are not expecting it to happen. And I, and I told you that um, at the end of our last program that we were going to take a little side trip here and go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. So keep your hand in 1 Thessalonians 5, if you would, because we're going to come back there. And let's go back to the left and go back through uh, Romans and Acts, and then we'll get to the last of the four Gospels, to John chapter 10. And this is where Jesus is explaining the thief. And it's important that we understand this because this term thief has been misapplied as being related to Jesus and the church, that he's coming as a thief to the church. And nowhere does he use the word thief in relationship to the church. And he explains why. So let's look at this. Let's look at um, John chapter 10. Let's look at the first two verses uh, because we want to get back to 1 Thessalonians. John chapter 10, verse 1, truly, truly. So he's being emphatic here. He's, it's like he's figuratively pounding on the table as he's looking you in the eye and telling you this. I say to you, he, referring to the thief, the thief, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber, a thief and a robber. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So he's showing a clear distinction between the shepherd, Jesus, who is his coming to take care of the sheep as, the, as is the charge, the, the really the sole charge of a shepherd is to take care of his sheep. And we'll read a little bit more about that in a moment. But as the shepherd, he takes care of, of the sheep. But he says, the one who climbs up and comes over into the fold by another way, over the wall or something, he is a thief. And not only that, he goes on to describe this thief as a robber. He's coming to take, he's coming to illegally take something that's not his. So he makes the clear distinction there. So if you think about it, if Jesus says, I'm coming to the church as a thief, well, what does the thief do? He robs and he steals and he destroys. And we'll read that. 
but as a shepherd, he comes through the gate, and we see where he they my my people recognize my voice. In fact, let's go down to verse four. He puts forth all his own, talking about the shepherd. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Who is he talking about? The shepherd. He's talking about himself, and he's contrasting himself with a thief. Okay, a thief. Now let's drop down to verse 10. So we're in John chapter 10, and let's look at verses 10 and 11. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So if you want to look at it in contrast, the shepherd is willing to die for his sheep. And of course, that's a picture of Jesus on the cross. The shepherd is willing to die for his sheep. Contrast that with the thief, which would be an evil person. He wants you to die for him. He wants you to die for him. Now we've hopefully developed this point for you that when he talks about comes as a thief in the night, I want to, I want you to understand the difference between Jesus and the church, and not being a thief, he's coming as the shepherd to bring his flock home. And then Jesus, when he is relating what he's going to do at his second coming, he's going to judge. And a result of that judgment, unfortunately, is going to be a lot of death. The result of the judgment will be death. It will be destruction. So when Jesus refers to himself as a thief, he's referring to himself as the judge who will come to exact payment for the evil, for the iniquity, um, uh, evil lifestyles of those who are on the earth at his second coming. When he comes as the shepherd for the flock, for the church, he never describes himself as a thief. So I want to make that point very, very clear. So when he says the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, we'll see here in Matthew that he is, Jesus is the thief in the night. But that's when he comes at his second coming. So when you see thief related to Jesus, it's referring to the day of the Lord. It's referring to the second coming of Christ. You never see the term thief associated with the rapture of the church. Okay? So hopefully I've made that point clear. If you have still have questions, please you can contact me as the announcer said at the radio station here uh, and just address it to Steve at whcbradio.org and I'd be glad to take your concern, your question, and if possible share it on the air with others because if You've got a concern about what I said here and are still perhaps a little uh, unsure of the differentiation of what it means for Jesus to be a thief in the night, yet not related to the church and the rapture. Please let me know. Okay, let's let's um, move on here. And uh, 
I want to go back to verse 1, and let's read a few verses here. We ultimately want to get through the 11 verses here because it's so telling uh, as he differentiates the difference between the believing church and those who will go through the tribulation period. It says verse in verse 1, Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, so you know he's talking to the church, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Now, I want to stop right here because if you don't read the next verse but take verse 1 out of context, you can get a lot of people mixed up and a very well-known um, teacher with a mega church has has used 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to say there's no need to study eschatology. As to the times and the epics, you have no need of anything to be written to you. So they're saying that means don't teach eschatology. Don't teach end-time events. There's no need for it. We need to be focused on the here and now and doing earthly things right now. And that couldn't be more uh, distanced <laughs> from the truth the improper interpretation of that passage has done a lot of damage because very well, all you have to do is read verse 2 because verse 2 starts out, for you, brethren, the same people he's addressing in verse 1 that says you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well. I've already taught it to you. I have no need to repeat it to you. I've taught it to you in detail. So there's the very clear explanation if you merely look at the passage in context and ask who's being spoken to about, uh, by whom, about what, and it clarifies it. And it says right there that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And then he explains a little bit about the thief in the night in verse 3. While they, now you see the difference from you, He's talking to the church, you and brethren, and now he says they. So he shifted from the church to the unbelievers. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. That passage, that verse right there rather, is so packed with information that really needs to be unpacked to understand it. And we're going to take time to look at verse 3 and unpack that by looking at some scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, because it tells you very clearly right there when this is going to happen. It describes it as the midpoint of the tribulation, the day of the Lord. So again, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 in our next program. But now we want to transition, as we always do, over to our Q&A, and we have uh, introduced a new question in our last program, and we want to follow up today. And it's an interesting one that I think catches uh, a lot of people by surprise when they hear this. The question is, does the fact, and I believe the Bible does corroborate it, it is a fact, that Israel is the wife of God, does that fact have any impact on end-time prophecy? And we started out by, one, making it clear uh, in order to understand that Israel is the wife of God, which is a very important understanding. It's a fact 
It's a biblical fact, and we're going to go into that today. Um, in order to do that, you have to um, be led by the Holy Spirit into an, uh, an understanding of the Scriptures. And we spent our last Q&A time basically focusing on John 16, verses 12 through 14. And we're not going to go back there, but just to paraphrase, it's saying that the Holy Spirit, when Jesus went back to heaven at the end of his first ministry, his first um, advent, his first coming to the earth, and the Jews, Israel, refused to recognize him, he went back to heaven waiting for his Father God to tell him to come back the second time. He's going to come back. He's going to take the church back to heaven with him, and then there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation on the earth, principally designed to bring Israel, the remnant, the believing remnant of Israel, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus is going to come back to the earth and stay on the earth for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. And in order to understand all that, um, God, uh, after he brought Jesus back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to us. And that Holy Spirit indwells the members of the church. And John 16, 12 to 14 says that the Holy Spirit wants nothing more than to lead you as a believer into an understanding of all the Scripture. What is all the Scripture? It's Genesis to Revelation for us today. Uh, back when it was written, it was basically understanding all the Scriptures meant the Old Testament. That's all there was. But now, looking forward, and of course in the Upper Room Discourse, which is where you find John 16, uh, as part of that from John 16 to John's, uh, John 13 to John 17, it's all about um, the period of time of the church age. Jesus is basically prepping the apostles to understand the church age. And he says, I, the, the Holy Spirit is coming when I leave, and he, will, he wants to lead you into an understanding. In fact, it says, he will tell you things that are yet to come. And of course, that's what we find in the Scripture, and that's why we even have this teaching ministry of exploring Bible prophecy. It's primarily focused not only, it has been focused on the Old Testament prophecies that have come to fruition, but the, the exciting part is the prophecies that have yet to happen, yet to be fulfilled, and that's what we're excited about and looking forward to. But it all works together here in letting the Holy Spirit lead us into an understanding of the Scripture. And when you do that, one of the things you understand early on in your study of the Bible is that Israel is very important to God. In fact, God chose Israel and then wedded wedded Israel when they came out of Egypt around 14, roughly 1450 B.C., according to the Scriptures. And before that, before that, he had made covenant promises. Uh, when he basically started to form the nation of Israel. He did it through Abram, Abraham and Sarah, and the covenant son, which was actually their uh, second son, Isaac. The covenant was through Isaac, and then from Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob was renamed Israel, and Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel that we know today. So God made covenant promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then he sent 
the 12 tribes into Egypt for a period of 400 years to strengthen them, to test them, to build them up. And then they called on God in their distress, in their tribulation. And God was merciful because of his covenants. And he brought them out of Egypt uh, through the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And then I want to take you to Exodus 19. So this is the Exodus out of Egypt. The Exodus out of Egypt. So if you go to Exodus, it's the second book in from the beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus. And this is in the third month that they've come out of Egypt. Remember, they come out of Egypt, and because of unbelief, imagine that, unbelief with the Israelites. (laughs) Unbelief of the Israelites, they stayed in the desert. They stayed in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years a period of testing, if you will, and you see 40 all through the Bible, 40 days, 40 years, and so forth. So this is in the third month, and they are at Mount Sinai where the law is given. And in um, Exodus chapter 19, I want want us to read verses 3 through 6. This is the wedding ceremony. Verse 3 of Exodus 19, Moses went up to God, And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. And when you say the house of Jacob, it's it's all twelve tribes. Jacob was the father of the twelve tribes. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5, now then, now then, I brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. All the peoples are mine, but I am coming to you, Israel. I have selected you. I have chosen you, Israel, to be mine, if you will indeed obey my voice. So it makes you, if you've been to, I know you've all been to weddings, and basically they say, okay, now we're going to have the I wills. And the the, uh, bride says, I will, then the husband says, I will. Well, here is, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So there is God proposing to Israel to be his own possession. To be, He refers to himself as her husband later on, and we'll look at that uh, later on. But then the other key point is the wife, the bride, has to accept, right? So go down to verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God said, I will. Israel said, I will. And you have the wedding of Israel to God. So Israel is the wife of God. So hopefully you've seen that in the scriptures, and um, we will look at a scripture or two next time.
to show you where the the word husband is used in relationship to God's relationship to Israel before we go on to uh, to answer the question about does this have impact on end time prophecy. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.